I always wanted to travel, see different cultures. Obviously, the game's the same. The game, the game, no matter where you go in the world, the game is the same. I enjoyed a wonderful time at Wimbledon. Won the 1988 FA Cup final against the mighty Liverpool. Nobody gives us a chance. We ended up going there in front of 99,500 people, 21 years of age, won the FA Cup. In the tunnel, and that's where it went off in the tunnel. You know, I don't know how nervous Liverpool was. I think we could have possibly won the game in the tunnel. Welcome to the How You Say It podcast with myself, Graham Kildower, a podcast that dives into the depths of understanding communication in all walks of life. It's not just what you say, it's how you say it. So welcome along to the How You Say It podcast with myself, Graham Kildower, and I'm joined in Bangalore at South United Football Club by, well, the first ever FA Cup winner I've ever interviewed, Terry Feeling. Terry, how are you? I'm great, Graham. Thank you very much. Yeah, we're in sunny Bangalore at uh, South United Sports Complex or Football Club, which is absolutely fantastic. Obviously, you've been here yourself. You've had a look around and what we've been doing, uh, different verticals we have here, different spaces. So, yeah, a beautiful property. It certainly is. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of misconceptions, I think, for people who perceive what Indian football is actually like. But when you come and see a facility like this, it really does take your breath away. I mean, to describe it, we've got a, a nice, huge 4G astro surface there, multi-surface, uh, multi-playing surface in front of us. Behind us, we've got a nice little seven-a-side goals. We've got a nice little grandstand, and we're sitting in a lovely little coffee, open coffee area. I mean, it really is fantastic. You could just spend the day here, couldn't you? Yeah, well, we do, to tell you the truth. I spend my life here. This is, this is life, and... Obviously, we've got you know different spaces. Again, we've got a little 3v3 pitch. We've got state-of-the-art uh, gymnasium offices and obviously a fine cafe bar. You need that. You can sit here, you can have a coffee and just watch uh, the world go by. And this is, this is what football's all about. And we talk about India. India's growing in the sports uh, fraternity at this present time. You know, we talk about cricket. Cricket's watched, but football's actually played. And the participation now in football at the grassroots is nearly outreaching what uh, the cricket participation is at this present time and yeah I mean it's great it's a community project and all we bring the community and it's in the centre of Bangalore and like I said I think people when they come down to this property they look at it and they go wow we never knew this was it but listen even on the outskirts of Bangalore there's, there's wonderful complexes all sport complexes uh, which is in India and it's growing I think the uh, infrastructure in the sports is absolutely growing uh, tenfold at the moment Yeah well we'll go back a little bit as well before we talk about how what brought you to India in the first place but as I mentioned you, you're an FA Cup winner you did play for the the infamous crazy gang I mean what was your journey like in football that's, uh, that started you out? Obviously, like anybody else, if you're, if you're 56 years of age and you go back maybe the third generations after the, uh, the war, the, sec- the Second World War there, mother's Irish, uh, my father was, uh, had come over from uh, Africa and their, their family and that. So it was really basically kicking a football on the streets like everybody else. You know, we, we didn't have no formal part of coaching. It was, there's a brick wall, put the chalk on it. There's the cobblestones off you go and play and that's what I did and you know I had a, I had a system I just wanted to be uh, a football player I enjoyed watching football on the streets of uh, Salford Manchester and in Ireland Sligo mothers from Sligo Tubba Curry mm. uh, but then when you get your first shirt 
and it's not a Manchester United shirt, it's a Manchester City shirt, and you're living in um, a red area, no wonder it was awful quick running. But no, it was just, uh, it was, I think it was just a dream more than anything else. And, you know, uh, I, I never set a goal in my life. I've never set a goal. It's just setting my system. How am I going to get there? What do we need to do? Like I said, my mother brought five of us up on her own. She had two, three jobs, which was hard then. But, you know, uh, there was food on the table, allowed us to go out and be ourselves and nurture us. And, and it was fantastic. But then, you know, we played for the school probably 40 games a season. We played for our clubs probably 40 games a season. So we played football. We just wasn't training players. But it started as a young boy on the streets of uh, Salford and Manchester. Yeah, I mean, you've you've played for quite a wealth of well-renowned football clubs throughout your career. Wimbledon, Manchester City, Everton, Fulham, Sheffield United, quite a few others as well to, to name that. I mean, as a, as a professional back then, you're talking about through the 80s into the 90s, we see a completely different football now when you're watching it on the television, you're seeing the English Premier League and things like that. What was it like for you guys coming through at that stage in, in football? Tough. It was, very, it was very tough as an apprentice. You had to do an apprenticeship. You know, I was at uh, Leeds United. I could have signed for Manchester City. I could have signed for a multiple of clubs when I was younger, 12 mm. years of age. Decided to leave home. Uh, I went to Leeds under Alan Clark and then Eddie Gray took over, obviously. Eddie Gray gave me my chance at 17, 16, 17 years of age. Played in the reserves at 15 years of age, you know, against international uh, players. Playing with the likes of Kenny Burns, you know, mm. uh, Frank Gray, you know, yeah. and Arthur Graham, all them wonderful players. And Peter Lorimer, you should know him. And But anyway... Bit, and you learn, you learn off them. Uh, whereas now it's a little bit different. Uh, and then obviously, yeah, uh, popped down to Swansea. Got released from Leeds. Popped down to Swansea with Terry Orif, another old Leeds United player, and Tommy Hutchison. You yeah. know, Tommy uh, did a year there, and then obviously found myself at the Crazy Gang at Wimbledon. And yes, six months was very, very tough. We talk about setting systems. I had to set my system again because. There was things happening there which I'd never seen in my life, you know, <laughs> clothes getting burnt in the middle of the change room, clothes getting, uh, you know, scissored up, cut up, uh, clothes getting burnt, uh, soap bags getting burnt, shoes getting nailed to the benches, you know, you name it, it happened. And, and yeah, some of it was barbaric, but for me, I'd already been at Leeds, Swansea, so he was okay with me and I, I just kept there. Had a look. Six months was tough, and then my system kicked in. And remember playing against Newcastle. Obviously, we were speaking about Newcastle earlier on. Played against Newcastle, and I remember Gascoigne was playing in that day. He was a fantastic player, and my system just went pop. Right now, you have arrived, and I never mm. looked back. And I, and I enjoyed a wonderful time at Wimbledon. Won the nineteen eighty eight FA Cup final against the mighty Liverpool. Nobody gives us a chance. We ended up going there in front of 99,500 people, 21 years of age, won the FA Cup after a year. Wow. I mean, it's quite incredible. I mean, for anyone who, who's listening to this who hasn't seen the documentary The Crazy Gang or even understand what the, that Wimbledon side was like, that great Wimbledon team that came all the way through the leagues. Yeah. We talked about it earlier on and you said uh, a, a, an interesting phrase there about the culture within it. You said it was like a family and you had to break into that family and once you were in, you were looked after. I mean, when you see cultures within football clubs and you see cultures within organisations and groups and leadership, how different was that or was it quite similar to what you're seeing just 
executed in a completely different way by burning clothes and things like that. Well, there was more, more happening than that. I mean, you, you go into a restaurant and somebody would throw a, a roll with butter on your head and that was it. You know, you had uh, roll fights and things like that. But, you know, sometimes it went too much, but it, it was what it is. It kept us together. But I don't think it can happen now. I don't think it happens now. Maybe there's a bit of banter. Uh, obviously, there's a, a a lot of overseas players coming in into the game now, and there's nothing wrong with that. I, I should know that because I was at Chelsea when you know Gianfranco Zola come in. I couldn't see myself cutting his clothes up, even though <laughs> even though even though Dennis Wise was still mischievous at uh, Chelsea when I was there, and Vinnie Jones was there before I went. But you know, the game the game's changed, uh, mentalities have changed. You know, I'm gonna say I say improved. You know. Uh, People have improved their minds. The players are a lot different, you know. The players are hot property at this present time. They're worth hundreds of millions, so they're hot property now. And back in the day, some of us was released, some of them was bought, and we had to prove a point to the people who released us. And and it was always about, you know, back there, Graham. It was about proving yourself all the time. You got a two-year contract or a one-year contract. And you had to prove yourself, and you had, you didn't want to miss games, you didn't want to miss training because there was always somebody in there. Yeah. And it was about putting food on the table. It yeah. was about enjoying, you know, uh, something what you love doing. Uh, I don't know how it is now with, with the motivation and self-esteem of players, but then it was, and and they said it we didn't play football. We had we I played with some of the best players in the world, and against some of the best players in the world, and it was tough. Yeah. There was no messing about. It was up there, get at them. And you had to be tough, you had to be mentally tough and mentally sound and all. I mean, to, to get to an FA Cup final and beat that Liverpool team, uh, you know, a Liverpool team in the 80s, you know, you can't just get by by not playing football as such and having that great camaraderie and team spirit. But what was the feeling like at that time when you're coming up against them? As you mentioned as well, written off by everybody else because of who, who the Wimbledon team were versus who the Liverpool team were. We really didn't give a shit who he was, to tell you the truth. For us, there was just 11 guys and a sub going on the field and we had to compete. First, we had to compete and we was good at competing against teams. And, you know, we had fun. We went out the night before on the Friday night. <laughs> Bobby Gould now says, listen, you want everybody in by 12 o'clock. You go play darts, play pool, have a couple of pints of Guinness, have a, a little bit of wine. Enjoy the occasion. You know, enjoy, enjoy it because you might never get there again. You know, I think that year we went to Wembley three times in different little competitions, but it was it was great. We went out, we got up in the morning, we was chilling out, we was messing about as usual, messing about pranks going on left, right, and centre. You know, and we went. I remember us being in the dressing room, singing, dancing. We was the ones who started the music in the dressing rooms. It was it was the crazy gang. Nobody else. Now they're doing it all over yeah. the world. So we set the scene for everybody. In the tunnel, and that's where it went off in the tunnel, you know. I don't know how nervous Liverpool was, but in the tunnel, I think we could have possibly won the game in the tunnel. But I remember going out on the pitch, 99,500 fans, I'm 21 years of age, I'm going, the first FA Cup final I watched was Manchester United against Southampton in 1976. Bobby Stokes scored for Southampton, beat Man United 1-0. I was a Man City fan anyway, so I was <laughs> kind of happy. But then 1977, Man United beat Liverpool. I used to love watching Liverpool the way they played. Yeah. Uh, so getting, you know, I know yeah. I, getting to be at Wembley, in that old Wembley was fascinating. And I'm winning it, 
you know, Vinnie Jones hit uh, Steve McMahon straight away. I used to have a bit of banter when I joined Man City. Maka was sat next to me. Hey, Maka, how was them legs of yours? Are they still there like that? So, but it was, it was great, great occasion. And it was me who created it. Dennis Wise put the cross in. Laurie Sanchez finished it off. And you're like, you're in Wonderland. And you're like, I get, I'm getting goose pimples uh, now. Like, the goose pimples are coming now because it was a love. It, I wanted to be there and a dream. And, and we got there. You know, and I'm thinking, brilliant. And yeah, we won the game 1 0, and we had a big party. I, I don't think uh, I've seen light for a week. <laughs> it's, it's quite remarkable. I'm, you're getting goosebumps, I'm getting goosebumps just mm. thinking about that and, and it, what, a, yeah. what a memory that is. You, your career kind of, you've mentioned about going to Man City and Everton, Fulham's, and, and, and the likes, and Chelsea as well. Mm. What point in your career did you start to think about getting into coaching and management? Well, really, it, you know, you, you, you're getting your contracts, you, you're doing your stuff, you're still learning uh, a lot about the game, you know, different managers, different concepts, uh, different philosophies, methodologies, you know, all them big, nice words, what's out there. If you would have asked me that uh, 30 years ago, I couldn't even told you, but it's about self-learning. Uh, and, you know, it was, I started going, right, what am I going to do next? I, I'd like travelling, so... I said, okay, then I'm going to go to America. Played in America for a couple of years. And uh, the reserve team goalkeeper, Todd Hofford, he had his own company one-on-one. And he said, do you fancy moving up to, from Charleston, South Carolina, up to Philadelphia? I said, yeah, no problem. I said, you know, we'll get up there. He says, I want you in the company. We'll grow the company, football company. I said, yeah, brilliant. We'll do things different, Terry. Uh, we'll get kids into colleges on three scholarships. We won't chat, all that. And I just, I, I just thought, yeah, that's okay. But if I, if I rewind a little bit there, my first team I took was in Mount Pleasant. It was a girls' team, and it was 12 years old. And I'm like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do here? So I just did the basics of the basic thing. Started enjoying it. But I think what I really enjoyed is seeing the girls grow. Yeah. Seeing them grow with, with fun and self-esteem and motivation. I thought, this is, this is I, 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 I like this. And then I started more. Started there, went to Philadelphia. And then I thought to myself, okay, then I've done myself my bit here. Let's take the business down to New Zealand. Six years in New Zealand. I was a player manager. Then I went as a football development manager. And then uh, a head football development manager for uh, Football South, who was linked to New Zealand football. So started educating uh, students, the teams, the younger ones. And then I thought, after six years, I had an offer to come to India. Oh, come on, it's a little bit more closer now to uh, Europe. Went to India, went to Goa, say to Goa, two years there. Come back home to England for a couple of years because the schooling wasn't great, brought the kids back. Found myself in Kerala, found myself in Bangalore. Kerala, four and a half years. Uh, Bangalore, coming on four and a half years now. Brilliant, brilliant. I want to go back, you, you mentioned about, uh, you know, when you started to learn from managers and people that you'd played with and people that managed it is there any managers or, or people that stick out in your career that you've maybe looked at from a coaching perspective that's had a big impact on you I think if, if, if I go back and I think Keith Mincher at Leeds United the youth team manager he was probably 10 years ahead of himself you know he, he did things simple we learnt the game simple you know with him there was nothing extraordinary no aliens was jumping out of Mars and coming and showing us something different football's a simple game you know, but I think it's just managing 
the people you're working with mm. and getting their self-esteem and motivation up. And that's what he used to do to us. And that was great. And I always, uh, I always think about Keith, how, how he moulded me a little bit. I, but he didn't teach me too much. It was just simple little things he tapped into. Obviously, Eddie Gray and, you know, but it was the players I, I, I learned a lot of, you know, and the way he... The way he was, the way he was in the football field, and the way he was in training. Uh, obviously, Bobby Gould and Don Howe, the late Don Howe, Bobby Gould at Wimbledon. Yeah. You know, they had a philosophy with Don Howe, one of the best coach. Simple again, things was he done things simple. We never played a five-a-side at Wimbledon. Everything was big goals. He says we don't score in small small goals. Really? We're scoring big goals, guys. So everything we're going to do is on the full-size pitch, and that was it. We do five v five. Big goals. Yeah, yeah. So more about that fitness, yeah, you know. Yeah. But I think when when I when I really look at it, uh, obviously, uh, you know, uh, Glenn Oddle was, was was fantastic in the way he talked to the players, the way he loved the players. You know, uh, Peter Reid was 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 tough and hard. So they all had different characters, and you take a little bit of them. But I think when I went to Fulham, uh, I have looked at. John Tigano and he brought his fitness staff in. Then I started, and this was in two thousand. I started tapping in and looking, hang on a minute. I enjoy the fitness, I enjoy the sports science. My son's a sports scientist now. Uh, my daughter's a top strength conditioner. And I thought, yeah, I, I like this because I, I, I love the fitness side of it. I thought I'd take a little bit out of them and I learned an awful lot. And I just started, you know, breaking it up, putting it into a jigsaw, but then being myself and all. I love giving whoever a coach the self-esteem, the motivation, and I think sort of like loving them, getting yeah. them to the next level. And I think if you do that, you, you, you're okay, but you've got to manage people. Yeah, I mean, that's sometimes the hardest part, isn't it? The, the people part of it. But it's the one thing that maybe, as you've touched on there, is that sometimes you can become too outcomes focused on winning and, and forget about the people in the process where yeah. actually when you focus on the people the outcome starts to start to show itself I think, I think right, when, you, when you go on a football field all the players see different pictures on the football field we just see that picture you know but you know football players see different pictures they're all different they're not the same you know and you've got to be able to find that find that within the, 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 the people you've got to have good people skills and we learned an awful lot yeah did I shout at uh, players if they was older yeah of course I did but I thought what's the point of shouting at them mm. you know let's guide them let's, let, let's talk to them let's get their little feedback and get their pictures of what they're thinking can't be all about the coaches there's, there's, if there was one thing I hated and it didn't happen a lot was a coach shouting from the sidelines Terry, this, Terry, that. Then I remember turning around to one coach and saying, well, why don't you just come and play then? Yeah. You know, I'm doing okay. I'm in my zone. I'm in, I've set my system. I'm doing okay. And, and I think training is for that. And if you can't absorb that in training as a player and then, you know, put it to the, uh, put it to the picture on the, on the field, and there's a little bit of a problem there, isn't there? You know? Yeah. I mean, you mentioned earlier on about the international side of the game in England, and yeah. and a lot of I've, I've interviewed quite a few people in football, and one of the things is people can often stay in the country that they play for the whole of their careers, and the only interest that they get from international side of it is from sharing changing rooms with international players. You've mentioned about your time at Fulham and, and another international manager or coach coming in and bringing something different on the fitness side. 
But you've actually done it the other way as well, as you've travelled the world and you've met other co- yeah. co- people from countries and cultures. I mean, what's that like, moving away from what you know? You've gone over to America. How was that for yourself to deal with the different cultures and the different way that people operated and even just the, the way that the sport was played in a completely different country? Well, I mean, if, if we, we rewind, I left home at you know, 12, 13 years of age. Mm. So I was always I was becoming an individual then. Uh, you know, my life skills was, was, was fantastic. I was sort of like a quiet boy, you know, but I think when I went to Wimbledon, that certainly changed a, a lot, you know. Uh, it was a big eye-opener bit. Yeah, I mean, I always wanted to travel, see different cultures. Obviously, the game's the same. The game, the game, no matter where you go in the world, the game is the same. It, as it got faster, as pitches got better, yeah, as boots got lighter, yeah, as balls got lighter, yeah, as the goalie gloves got better, yeah, as kits got better, yeah. But the game's still the same. You have two big goals and, and, and the ideology is it get that ball into that big goal get, and defend that goal and attack that yeah. goal. It's so. as simple as that. It's 11 v 11, win your battles, 1 v 1s, that's it. You know, yeah, you have to have a strategy when you go out there, but it's up to the players. But you know, traveling to America was great. You know, meeting different people in the community, and I don't just mean the, the football players. I mean the families, the folk. You know, the fans was different. You know, the, you know, it was sort of like razzmatazz over there, and it, it was it was beautiful. You know, Charleston, South Carolina, fantastic. New uh, uh, New Zealand. You know, if anybody's ever been down to New Zealand. Please tell me about it. It's one of probably the beautifulest places in the world. The, 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 the people are fantastic. But then the football was amazing because they had it six months on, six months off. They played in the winter. Yeah. If you've been down to New Zealand in the winter, you've got four-year-olds running around, tough four-year-olds. It was fantastic. And actually to be able to go down there and implement and, and implement you know, uh, what some knowledge to the coaches, even though the coaches knew, but just a different knowledge to them was great and to the players and, you know, taking the players on a journey and getting them into scholarships in America was fantastic. But it's not just about the football, it's about the culture itself, different food, you know, a different taste of wine, if I can say wine on air, you know, I I do that. Uh, But different foods and talking to people about their lives, you know, New Zealand was different from America, uh, uh, India's different from New Zealand but at the end of the day football's football it's still the same and, and it's still the same and if you can my, my objective if I can help uh, uh, these people who are playing football and I say people because we're only people our students grow and take them on a journey then I'm happy with that but the first thing is everybody's got to try and play with a smile on their face win, lose, or draw you know somebody's got to win Somebody can draw, somebody's got to lose. At the top level, you've got to win because it's, it's a business. At the bottom level, it's about learning about the game and learning about each other. Yeah. Uh, this, this podcast mainly focuses a lot on communication and things like that. You know, did you have to tailor your communication, how you communicate, how you spoke to people when you moved away to other, other, other countries? Yeah, I mean, don't forget, we, we, we grew up in, a, you know, in the 70s where it was tough, it was hard, it was, it was that kind of thing. As apprentice, there was no messing about. You know, the, the professionals have been at you. If, your tea, if the tea was cold, the, the tea would be thrown <laughs> back at you. If the boots, I remember Kenny Burns, the great Kenny Burns, like, you know, mm. uh, Scottish legend, I remember cleaning his boots and he said, wee man, 
playing Saturday, it's a Friday. Make sure them studs are nice and long and sharp. And brought the boots into him. Wee man, threw the boots at me. No, wee man. I want them longer and sharper. And it was, there was, I don't know how long he was. There was like legs on a table yeah. and as sharp as nails. Wee man, brilliant. But it was tough. We yeah. cleaned the stands. It was tough. But your communication has to change. The body language has to change. I say to the coaches here now in India, if you're uh, working with people and students, get that body language going. Get the self-esteem up. And language what comes out of your mouth. Yeah. You know, how can you motivate? And you do. You, you At this level, and the youth level, you do. I, I think if I was at the top level, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change too much. I've learned an awful lot, and I think it would keep my body language the same, my language, uh, good language to the, the players the same. And like I said, if it's about motivating, making them happy, making them feel wanted. Because when I was younger, sometimes it was tough. Sometimes you needed an arm around you. But me, with my system, I didn't give a bollocks. Yeah. I just went out there and played. I don't care, I just went out there and played. And, and when, the, when, the co- when I come in and the coach patted me on the back, I was all right. If he didn't pat me on the back, I was still all right. But in myself, I knew I had to go out there and give 100%, 110% or 100% in everything I did on the field. Because like I said, it was about talking to your teammates yeah. in a different language to get the best out of them but when you're coaching now you know we've got to use them coaching words and them coaching philosophies we've got to you, know, you, you mentioned when you went to America and you started working with a sort of a, a, a girls team and then you've carried on your sort of career now when you went when you're now in India and technical director at Kerala Blasters and technical director here at South, South United is that an area that you always were interested in or did that, with the development of young players, was that something that just sort of captured your imagination and kept you, kept you going through that? Yeah, I think it did. Uh, to tell you, I mean, what does a technical director, it's just a name, isn't it? You know, it, it, it doesn't change who you are. You know, it's just a name and uh, a technical director probably is different from here than it is anywhere around the world. Technical directors, sport directors are, are at the elite at the elite. But, you know, if we can... Uh, you know, uh, implement uh, what we want to do with the coaches first, you know, from my experiences and giving them a little bit of that, you know, holistic approach in the coaching and on the playing side of students. I think it's great. I've learned off a lot of people in England, talking to a lot of people, talking to a lot of coaches, talking to educators, listening to podcasts. But then you've got to have that, your own language and all. You, you, you know, you've got to have that own language. You've got to use your brain a little bit and, and I just, I, I just found like giving something back, you know, we took an awful out of it, giving something back to them and, you know, playing at the highest level and coming from the streets and, and, and telling stories and telling the kids the stories and yeah. going, you can do it if you want to do it. You know, anybody can do anything you want if they've got that dream. But I think it's just moulding yourself and trying to be uh, a happy person. Mm. when you're going out on that field and I had some great happy times I always had happy times in there count on, I can count on one hand how many bad games he had when I was playing I didn't have many mm. but you know coaching's completely different than on the other side of the, 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 the white line you've got to get in there you've got to motivate you've got to have the self-esteem with the players you've got to have a laugh and a joke with them you've got to pick them up because we don't know what's going on in the houses no matter what level we're playing at and I think 
that is key. Get to know the people you're working with inside out. Yeah, I mean, the, you're, you're, as a technical director and things, you've mentioned about working with the coaches more. So, I mean, at South, South United FC, how many coaches do you currently have that you're working with on a day-to-day basis? Oh, oh. In all, we've got around about 20 uh, coaching staff down there. You know, we, we've got... Uh, 450 students so you know we have uh, uh, coaches out there and we've, we've got, got to fine tune them we've got to give them the self esteem and motivation because it's day to day but yeah I, I work with them day to day and it could be it could be on a little problem it could be on a big problem it could just be on a little coaching point but I'm always there my door's always open for them and I'm still learning yeah. I'm, I'm still, we, we sat there this morning I've learned off yourself I love learning might be little bits but I love picking them up uh, and putting it together but I think coaching is you know it's not about going out there and putting a million cones down <laughs> I'm going yeah it's about talking to the coaches expressing your wishes uh, for the coaches and, and telling them the good coaches you know when you were always oh, a bad coach how do we determine he's a bad coach how do we determine that because he's losing games doesn't mean he's a bad coach means his people skills might just yeah. be as, as good we all do different sessions some some are okay sessions some uh, just learning about sessions but it's how you knit it all together but at the end of the day you've got to get your players ticking and you've got to get them uh, moving you've got to get them happy you've got to get the coaches happy when they go on the field because I always say great when they go on that field there they've got to love it yeah when they come off they can when they go on the field they've got to they've got to love it no matter what's going on get rid of the washing get rid of the baggage go on the field and love it because if you don't then no matter who you're working with they're not going to love it and then that's a big problem well it must be really difficult when when one of the things i've heard a lot of managers and coaches talk about over the over the sort of years is that if you walk onto the pitch to start training in a bad mood, the players will pick up on your body language, your tone and your attitude, which means that they'll, they'll not have a good session. So it must be very difficult. I mean, you guys are dealing with kids. At what, what, where, what age level do they start? Well, we, we start with them at two years of age up to the first team, which is open age. Right. You know, uh, and we, just because the first team are in a, a, you know, a little different department, I always see them around. We're always chatting to them. I'm always... You know, guiding them and giving them that motivation. I say about motivation and self-esteem. That's what it's about. Yeah. You know, and then they're young. I mean, I was I, I was doing the die and fly with two-year-olds and three-year-olds the other day in a session. Yeah. You know, I was doing ringer ringer roses <laughs> with them in, in, in a session. Yeah, yeah. You know, because we've got to try and implement that in the coaches. That you can't be sergeant majors. You have to be relaxed. You have to bring yourself down to their level. And then as it goes up, as it goes up the pyramid, you've got to be a little bit more stricter. You've got to pull them, pull them in a little bit, uh, the students. And then you've got to learn them. You've yeah. got to learn them. That's why they come. You've got to learn them, fine tune them. Do you think, um, you know, when it, when you come at coaching youngsters and kids from a coaching educational point of view, how how much of an education do you get when you are coaching groups of children at that age as, instead of adults? It must be quite a difficulty. You know, you hear about some coaches that have played the game and then they go down to coaching at kids level and they can't hack it because they, they can't deal with dealing with children versus other people who find it naturally as a, as a way to go through age groups and then start coaching at senior level I think 
I think the, the beauty with me, I've done everything. Yeah. I wear so many different hats. I've, I've coached at the top end with the Carola Blasters uh, for six weeks in the ISL. I've coached at the bottom end. I've coached in the middle. I've been to the academies in, in obviously, in England. Uh, I've travelled all over the world. I think with me, it's just being positive. I think it's just being really positive every day. You know, we can get down, but I can't bring that. I can't bring that onto the field. Mm. And I, I, if I'm positive on the field and I walk around and I tap in uh, to the coaches, I tap into the players, I give them, you know, little notes. Maybe you might adapt that. Not to say that they're doing wrong, you might adapt that. Smile a little bit more, yeah. get the body language going. You know, uh, you know, go up, pull the children out, talk to them, educate them, push them back in there. I don't mean push them, sorry. Tell them to go back in there and, and, and be exciting. Uh, you know, for me, football's got to be exciting. I want the coaches to be exciting. I won't say I want. We need the coaches yeah. to be exciting and we need the students to be exciting. No matter what level you're at, all levels, they are where they are. The students are where they are. They come to us to just try and fine-tune them. Even if it's the first team, they are where they are and we have to try and get the best out of them. We, we talked a little bit uh, earlier on, you know, Football's a growing sport in India, but we all know that cricket's the biggest sport. And culturally, how hard is it now where we're getting a new generation of football players and supporters coming through? Because this is who you're dealing with right now. And what are the challenges with that culture? We'd mentioned about the schooling structure culture in India where it's all about success, it's outcome-focused, whereas when you're trying to develop young players, it's not about the outcome, it's about the process. What's that like to try and have to deal with? It's an hard one, really, because you've got to get into the minds of the parents, you know, because obviously if the parents are coming in and it's pay and play, you've got to get in the minds of them that we're trying to develop them, not just on the football side, but on the social side and all. You know, because students come to us in all, all different forms. Some have never played football, some are OK, some are advanced, some are uh, competent, some are novices, and, and we have to just make sure that we try and get the best out of them. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the participation, like I said earlier, in football is growing. Uh, infrastructure is growing. There's more 9v9, 6v6 fields uh, being developed now. And, you know, the children are not playing on dirt pitches anymore. They're actually playing on, you know, uh, astroturf pitches. They're mimicking now. They're world superstars. You see the hunger. You can smell the aroma, what's coming in from the football. Yeah. Uh, football clubs are setting up now. There's academies all over India. You know, and I think it's a wonderful site. Yeah, but you, again, it's all about how you manage the situations. Uh, you go into the school curriculum. We, we, we need to get into the school's curriculums and get more education and more uh, health and well-being in there, especially on the physical side. We need that. We need... Uh, better educators in there, you know, and educators who just concentrate on the sport instead of doing multiple jobs, you know, and, and concentrate on that and make it easier. Uh, we are having a roadmap now in India, which is uh, 26 to 40, uh, 2047. The All Indian Football Federation are having a roadmap. FIFA now are going around the countries and the world to try and implement what they want to do in their philosophies. But it's not easy. India's a big place, 1.6 billion people. You're on about cultures. You come from here to Kerala, different culture. Yeah. 
Ewan Gunkalro, uh, to Tamanadu, different culture. The culture's all over and they're different. The food's different, the smell's different. That's another problem, what you have to deal with. And if you can deal with that, I think you, you, you've nailed it. But it's still, again, it's up to us as educators to educate the students, to educate the coaches, to allow the, go the game to grow. And I think the game has grown in the right direction. You know, can we compete with the likes of Germany and Spain and England and France? Not really, not yet, but can we get there? I've been here 10 years. I've seen infrastructure grow absolutely fantastic. Uh, we are now sending teams over to Europe and, and competing against teams uh, in Europe in these, you know, these tournaments. We are doing that now. So it just shows you we're, we're not far away. We do have a, one or two problems, like I'm sure every country does, uh, you know, with overage players. We're, we're trying to curb that now. We're really yeah. trying to, you know, curb that. But it's a difficult one because we, we don't know. Because yeah. you might find a, a fantastic football player from a, a, a village and we don't know. We might not have a birth certificate. So it's, it's a difficult one. Uh, but, yeah, on a, on a whole... Uh, India is a fascinating place, and and you, you see what the owners have done here. You know, you know, you take a video of it, send it back. It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And the, this is only the start. There's more popping up now. There's more investment coming into the game now. It's quite incredible. One of the things that's interesting is about what you've said there is, you know, there is the element still in India where it's pay to play. Yeah. Now, you've mentioned as well. You you were a young lad growing up playing on the streets. In the UK, you know, football was seen as a working class sport where all you needed, as you've mentioned, was a ball, a bit of chalk on the wall and you could, you could be playing. Whereas here, to have access to this facility, that it, it costs money. And, and does that limit what India are actually being able to achieve in terms of the only the top percent of children are getting an opportunity to play here because they're the ones whose parents can afford to take them here? But yet we know in that 1.6 billion, the amount of kids that could be getting an opportunity but aren't. So how can you manage that challenge? Well, I think that you can manage it. Uh, obviously, uh, the system is what it is. You know, we're in the modern world now. You know, when I was playing, did we have to pay subs? Of course we had to pay subs when we went to a little club. We had to pay for whoever was driving the bus. We had to pay for the petrol, you know. So we had to pay a little subs. It wasn't like it is now. Uh, but you had to pay something. I remember, I remember talking to my mother and saying, you know, I can play for a school or I can go on a trip for a boys club, go on a trip to Wales. She said, decide. Uh, but if you go on a trip, I can't buy you no football boots to pay for a school. So the trip was a week. I said, so buy me a pair of football boots and I'll play for the school. 40 games for the school. That's where I am today. Mm. That just tells you. Now we have the pay and play model. It's an American model, pay and play. I think it's all over the world. Yeah, of course, it's yeah. in England, it's all yeah. over. I think the days of street football is slowly going away. If you look at the Pafellas in uh, Brazil, it hasn't gone away. If you go down to the depths of Carola on the paddy fields, it hasn't gone away. But to get better and to be in infrastructures, Unfortunately, that's the way it is. That's the nature of the beast, you know. Uh, and if you wanted to get in teams, teams now have to, have to pay for it. But we want to give them the best value for the book. And that's why we say about the coaching, the coaching's got 
to be at the top level. Uh, the coaches, we've got to learn them to implement it to the children. But I think, you know, it depends, isn't it? You know, the modern day parent, if they want their son or daughter to be in, in, in a good infrastructure, then somebody has to pay for it. And unfortunately, it comes out of the, the, the parent's pocket. That's why I say, and I'll reiterate it, and I'll reiterate it, that's why our coaches have to go on that field and give the best they can. Because at the end of the day, it's only like going to the, the movies or buying a car or buying a pair of shoes or buying a meal. You want the best for your books. That's what we do here. One of the things we've seen the emergence of through the UK and stuff like that is community foundation football clubs, yeah, which give yeah. children who maybe don't have the ability to yeah. afford this a chance to get that. Is that something that you see as a as a something that could grow in India? Where, you know, just round the corner, you've mentioned that there's a school of maybe eight hundred odd children, and most of those children probably wouldn't be able to afford the the ability to have these facilities. However, is there ways where? South United FC and other football organisations in India can try and tap into those children so that we can give everybody an equal opportunity? Yeah, it's a, a great question and it's one I'm going to answer very daily because it's, it's a love of mine to go into the communities. I come from a community, you know, uh, playing on the streets. So now we've built this wonderful uh, football club. We are, we are trying to expand with our different ecosystems in different uh, cities. Uh, Pan India, but then we've got to have something underneath it. We did have, obviously, because of COVID, we, there's a lot of NGOs uh, around now. There's a lot of NGOs in the football, you know, fraternity in India. Uh, I do believe we are going to go, be, go going to be going into the uh, the community sector because I do believe we've got to give them children a chance. I'm just looking at a field now around the corner where I'm going to get me balls, me pennies, me bibs. I'm going to throw them down. Who wants to come and play? because I think that's what we need to do. You know, don't forget, this is a community project, but then we have to hit the ones a little bit lower. And there's probably a lot of talent there, but we have to nurture them in all different ways. Because again, we don't know where they've come from. Uh, one income families, uh, you know, lower, really below the poverty line, one parent families we've got to tap into. You know, how do we do that? You know, we have to do our stats, don't we? We have to do our stats on where the child's come from. Why is he coming in or her? What can we deliver for him? You know, breakfast clubs, you know, we can tap into that in their health and well-being. This is what we're looking at. And our owners and our CEOs are very keen on that. And we're looking at starting that now. We're looking at getting out there, trying to get funds for it. Uh, from anywhere in the world, trying to get funds for it. Just because we've got this, this is a different entity. Now we have to get underneath and really get out of there. And that's my job and all, uh, to get out there and, and, and really try and give the local communities a chance of maybe coming down there, seeing what an infrastructure is like, getting on the grass, uh, or the artificial grass, I'll say, getting on that and giving them a dream. Because I had a dream and that's where I come from, the streets, yeah. cobble streets. That's it. I mean, we normally finish this podcast. I'm going to put you on the spot here, but it's the three key fundamentals for communication. So we ask every guest, what are your three key fundamentals when it comes to communicating? So in your environment, when you're working with coaches, when you're working with children, when you're working in football or just in sport in general, what do you see as the three key fundamentals for yourself in communication? I, I, I think for me is body language. Body language is, is, is very key. You, you know, your body language... 
your self-esteem and motivation, what you give to the children and to the coaches. And I think just bringing a smile out onto that football field. Mm. Yeah. That, that, that's it. I mean, for me, that's what gets me uh, going out there. Them three key points, and I say to the coaches all the time, otherwise don't bother going out on the football field. I'll tell you, I mean, I've spent a few few hours with you and, uh, you know, it's, it's infectious what you've got, that smile on your face and the, the positivity that you have for this. It's, it's no wonder you're able to get the great results. So thank you very much for, uh, for joining me on this podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Cheers.